G'day, I'm Pete Hughes and you have clicked on the Reach Australia podcast. In Reach Australia, we want to see thousands of healthy, evangelistic and multiplying churches all over our country. Community is an important part of the Christian church and helping to look after each other can be an important, but it can also be a difficult thing to do. Uh, This workshop is a workshop given by Sally Sims at our recent National Australia Conference. Uh, She is looking at how do we set up great systems to make sure that we're caring for people around us. Enjoy. Good afternoon and welcome and thanks so much for coming to this seminar on how to care for your flock and organise care in your church. I'm Sally Sims, I'm the Care Coordinator at Christchurch St Ives, and I'm going to be presenting with Caroline Litchfield, who's our Membership Director, and she'll come up later. So this afternoon we're going to be spending some time thinking about the key inputs that help to build a caring church. We'll look at how care is organised at Christchurch St Ives, and we'll share some ideas that'll hopefully be transferable to your church. And we're also going to look at a couple of case studies to help us consider how size impacts the way care is given and how care might be organised in a small and a medium-sized church. And we're also going to make sure we've got plenty of time for questions and sharing. I think the title of this workshop sets an ambitious goal for us all, especially as there are many different churches represented here, and there's certainly no one-size-fits-all approach to care. We're very aware we don't have all the answers. However, it's our hope and prayer that there'll be plenty of food for thought and helpful ideas to take away. Before we go any further, let's take a quick look at the different sized churches represented here this afternoon. So do you mind putting your hand up if you're from a small church or a church plant? How about those of you from a medium sized church? And what about a large church? And what about a very large church? Well, it's encouraging to see we have a range of different sized churches represented amongst us. Regardless of the size of our church, Jesus calls us to love one another and to do everything in love. And this requires us to be intentional and effective in loving others the way Jesus loves us. And we need God's help to do this. So let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, We praise you that your love is steadfast and unchanging and that while we were still your enemies, you sent Jesus to die for us. We pray that you'd help us to keep growing in our love for you and others and equip us to care for one another well in our churches. May we care from the overflow of your love for us and keep you at the centre of all that we do so that we see ever-increasing numbers of wholehearted disciples who love like Jesus. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, in the plenary session, we looked at the theological and the disciple-making framework of care and the importance of intentionally addressing care in our churches so that under God we are building wholehearted disciples and growing churches that reflect the kingdom of God Uh, the kingdom of love that God is seeking to create. But before we look at some of the key inputs that 
build a caring church and consider some of the care ministry structures. There are a couple of important points from the plenary session that I think are helpful for us to keep in mind. Firstly, care is both an individual and a corporate responsibility. It's personal in that we're all called to die to self, to live for Christ and love and serve others. But it's also communal and it's mutual. The ministry of caring belongs to the whole body, not just the minister, the care team, growth group or ministry team leader. And it's one another care which requires that we both give and receive. We mustn't forget that we're all needy and we all need God's sustaining grace and one another. Secondly, while caring for others is everyone's responsibility, God is the chief shepherd and he's looking after his flock. Our role isn't to heal, fix or rescue, but to prayerfully walk alongside one another and to depend on Jesus as we offer care and support and shepherd the flock under God. Most importantly, as we heard, the disciple-making framework of care means that we'll always want to love others by praying, opening the word, sharing gospel truths, and encouraging one another to depend on Jesus first and foremost. And this is a gentle agenda. We want to help one another to persevere and to keep taking the next step in our relationship with Jesus as God, by his spirit, transforms our hearts and minds. I think pastoral care can mean different things to different people, and I found that individuals from other cultures are often familiar with the term. So I found it helpful to write my own definition that clearly describes what Christian pastoral care is and why we do it. Care is distinctly Christian, when we care for one another in response to God's love and his call to care deeply for one another through all seasons of life. This type of care flows from a living faith. It's active, it's intentional, and it's sustainably self-sacrificial. It involves listening well, responding with empathy, praying, bringing God's word, and helping one another in practical ways all the while sensitively encouraging one another to know, grow, and faithfully persevere in following Jesus. Of course, Christian care is also prayerfully extended to those who are not believers, with the genuine desire that they will experience God's love in action and be drawn to Jesus. Definitions are helpful, but I think it's in the telling and the listening to one another's stories that we come to really understand and appreciate the difference our care for one another can make. In 2011, Lee Carter, a dear friend of ours and a long-time member of Christchurch St. Ives, lost her husband from a sudden heart attack at the age of 52. Lee has written about her devastating loss and grief journey in her book, Letters to Emma, a memoir of grief and God's love. And if you haven't read Lee's book, I can thoroughly recommend it. In her book, Lee shares with great honesty what it's like 
to find a way through the shock, the pain, and the unpredictability of sudden loss. She describes what a difference it made to be surrounded by the love and care of God's people who helped her in many ways, but who especially helped her to see through the darkness, to see the hope that we have in Jesus. It takes prayer, good communication and collaboration, and many acts of spontaneous and intentional kindness to care well for someone going through a sudden and devastating loss like this. And the long haul of grief means that ongoing support is usually needed for many months or years after the loss. Care can't be scripted or reduced to a process because it's intensely personal, it's individualized, and it's unique every time. However, in growing churches and in crisis and chronic situations, care is more effective if processes and structures are in place. These help to mobilize a godly, coordinated response to needs as they arise, and they ensure that people get the necessary assistance and they don't fall through the cracks. But of course, care structures and processes are only part of the picture. A caring church cares for individuals in the context of community. If one member suffers, then as 1 Corinthians 12.26 reminds us, we all share the suffering because we are the body of Christ together. To be effective, pastoral care structures and processes must sit within a wider culture of care at church. Lee only missed two Sundays at church, and then she forced herself to return. She thought it would only get harder the longer she stayed away. And she writes about how grateful she was for friends who sensed her vulnerability and walked with her into church and formed a posse around her for the first few weeks, providing a physical buffer that gave her some control over her interactions with others. Small but deeply significant things like Lee's friends accompanying her into church made all the difference to Lee. It gave her the courage and safety to return to corporate worship. I think this is a good example of disciple-making care, which uses every opportunity to encourage and nurture others to know, grow, and faithfully follow Jesus. And this kind of care should permeate the whole church and embrace every person within it, not just when there's a crisis. We all want to be part of a caring church, don't we? But we rarely stop to think about what makes a church caring. If you had to list the key inputs that help to make a caring church, what would be on that list? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just for a minute discuss what you consider to be the key inputs that help to build a caring church. Well, I hope you found that helpful and sorry it was so brief and we don't have time to feed back. But I imagine you came up with many different factors that can help to build a caring church. As I've thought about it, I think we can summarize the key inputs that help to build a caring church under four main headings. 
Firstly, hearts and lives transformed by the gospel. A caring church is, of course, made up of caring individuals whose hearts and lives have been transformed by the gospel. When we think about care in church, we can tend to focus on the horizontal dimensions of care, but the priority and emphasis must always be on the vertical dimension, an active relationship with God and his word, which makes it all possible. Godly convictions and values come before godly actions. We only love because God loved us first, and he's the one who enables us to love one another through a living, growing relationship with Jesus. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. As we pray, hear, read the scriptures, and obey God's word, And caring is a godly instinct to move towards others with the love of Jesus. People with transformed hearts make caring an everyday practice in the context of genuine relationships. Their love for God compels them to make time for others, to share their faith, to encourage others in Christ, and to help where they can. They intentionally serve Jesus in the ordinary moments of life with his extraordinary love. Secondly, being deep in the word. Caring for one another is a natural outworking of God's work in us as we go deep in the word together, as we pray and as we encourage one another to live it out. We need to be regularly encouraged by the gospel and reminded that God calls us to love and care for one another and what this looks like in practice. Why? Because we all face temptations to move away from living for Jesus and we can neglect our mutual responsibilities towards one another. So faithful preaching, Bible study and speaking gospel truths to one another help us to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus both individually and as a community. We want our churches to be places where hurting people feel safe and where it's okay not to be okay. So difficult topics such as mental ill health, divorce, domestic violence also need to be spoken about with sensitivity from the front. Last year, our church had a special preaching series called Let's Talk, and it was on gender, marriage, singleness, and divorce. This series was very helpful in helping us think biblically about how to care for one another in these situations. Opportunities for people to share their stories from the front also helps to build a caring church. It's encouraging to hear first-hand accounts of how God upholds us in times of suffering through Jesus and his people. Thirdly, leaders setting a godly example. Leaders are called to imitate the character of Jesus and to set a godly example in the way they love and care for people. The power for this comes from abiding in Jesus, And it requires ongoing prayerfulness, trust in God's goodness, and good self-care. Ultimately, all members are called to walk in the way of love, as Jesus loved us, and to leave their old attitudes and values and priorities behind. But leaders have a particular responsibility to be visible role models of authentic Christian living. 
Ministers are appointed by God to watch over and shepherd the flock, not only by ensuring the gospel remains central to the life of the church, but by ensuring that the sheep are counted and followed up. So role work does need to be done, and databases need to be kept up to date as much as possible, together with those ongoing conversations and planning for how we can care for people well. And lastly, encouraging care through effective structures. A caring church is intentional about care, and it sees care as playing an important part promoting the goals of the other ministry areas. They have a clear picture of care that aligns with the church's overall vision and mission. While much care does go on at a spontaneous and informal level, we also need effective processes and structures that facilitate care. And these include effective welcoming and a new member course, provisions for those with disabilities, healthy growth groups where members understand that caring for one another is part of the portrait of a healthy growth group, training in care-related matters for growth group leaders and opportunities for all members to learn how to care for others. We all have room to grow in our one-to-one ministry skills. Having a triage process or a care coordinator and care teams in place for when care needs exceed growth group ability or capacity or when extra care is needed in crisis or chronic situations. Importantly, we also need to make sure people actually know how to access care at church and that they have access to a list of recommended Christian counsellors when professional help is needed. I'm sure you can think of many other elements that help to make a caring church. But as a church grows, it becomes increasingly important to be intentional about organising care and having effective structures in place. The missing link isn't often so much a lack of care, but the absence of well-thought-through congregational care systems. Well, we're now going to look at how care is organised and how the care ministry functions at Christchurch St Ives. And I'm going to hand over to Caroline Litchfield, our membership director, and we'll take you through this section together. So to give you some context, Christchurch is a very large church with an average attendance of 800 plus weekly, averages out to about 1,100 monthly, plus we would have more on the actual database, Uh, and we have about 400 kids and youth. We have three services on a Sunday, 9.15, 10.45 and 6pm, and a Tuesday church service. We've had some form of change to all our services in the last couple of years. We started Tuesday Church uh, coming out of lockdown one in October 2020. That's an Anglican morning prayer service. 6pm's time was brought forward from 6.45. In an effort to retain our worker demographic, uh, we do have at least 30% of that service who are aged between 25 and 60s. 
Uh, and we also, the most significant changes we've had have been to our morning services. Uh, so we closed down the three morning services we previously had and uh, now we have 9.15 as our largest service with all kids and junior high programs, uh, 10.45 with no kids programs and, and uh, which, which is an adult service sort of pitched at 40s plus. St Ives is on the north shore of Sydney, so it's a prosperous area. Uh, demographically, families with, uh, with children and teenagers are the most well-represented group, uh, partly because there are good schools in the area, both public and private. Uh, over the years, uh, God has been very kind. We have the kids and youth program at St Ives has grown, uh, and it is an attractional thing for us at church. A lot of people move to Christchurch because of the kids and youth programs. Uh, we also, as a church under God, have a, a track record over the years of uh, teaching and training and sending people on. In terms of our demographics at church, 30% of our people are from overseas and 18% speak a language other than English at home. Uh, so we also have a growing ESL ministry, which is particularly this year is the, uh, we've got a new pocket of Iranian background people, which is just exploding, which is really exciting. Christchurch, we've had a fairly gradual uh, transition to aspects of team pastoring uh, probably over the last decade. Uh, so after some recent staffing changes, uh, we once again have an M director for each of the five ministry areas. I look, under, I look after membership. So uh, my elevator pitch for membership. What, what is membership on about? Well, we want to see uh, our mission is to build wholehearted disciples of Christ who love one another deeply so that increasingly we see newcomers being welcomed warmly, members caring deeply for each other and people feeling that they belong. So those three last phrases correspond with the three C's of membership, connect, care and community. So the care ministry, if we zoom in on the care C, the care ministry helps to provide and coordinate care in crisis and chronic situations. Uh, and so this aspect of care um, sits under membership. Sally has been a member of the care ministry since 2009 and has been the care ministry coordinator or the area leader for care since 2017. Over this time, Sally has seen the care ministry grow and develop uh, under God and so what we're talking about today is the result of prayerful efforts by many people over quite some years. This is not a quick process. It does take time. Uh, it, is, um, it is very much still a work in process and as circumstances change, things keep getting refined. Uh, we've also found there's a reality that being a large church means having a care coordinator and having a specific care ministry helps to keep care in focus. There's a lot of things competing for our time, aren't there? Uh, in the busyness and the messiness of church life, 
but having this ministry and having Sally helps to keep us focused and to enable, we want to see, prayerfully see, good care outcomes at, across, across the whole church. Uh, Sally works three days a week as an honorary staff member and we have found, again, it's a large church team and so having Sally on the staff team uh, has actually been crucial for coordination, uh, for good communication. It means Sally's in the room where decisions get made and we have found that to be an immensely helpful and strategic part of being able to grow and establish helpful structures. Well, Sally's now going to take us through the big picture of care at Christchurch. Well, care at Christchurch is divided into two main parts. We have one another care, which takes place predominantly in growth groups, and the care ministry. And we'll come back to this slide a few times and we will post it in the conference app. So let's consider the one another care in growth groups. We urge everyone to be in a growth group and teach our members the importance of one another care and every member ministry. Growth groups are the first port of call for care, and care is one of the four key aspects of our portrait of a healthy growth group. We encourage members to be growing as wholehearted disciples by teaching one another, by being deep in the word and prayer, spurring one another on to faith through mutual accountability, encouraging one another in mission-mindedness, and caring for one another in all the joys and the trials of life. We have 66 adult growth groups and over 760 people in a, grow, in a group. Growth groups provide that circle of belonging where members can find consistent care and community. There's support and training for growth group leaders and good lines of communication between them and their community leader if extra support is needed. And because members know that the principal way that we care for one another at Christchurch is through growth groups, there's been a shift away from a minister-dependent mindset to caring for one another in growth groups. The ministers are still accessible uh, to members for pastoral conversations and care. Indeed, each M director has joint oversight for a particular congregation. But they prioritise discipleship and care through our care structures rather than bypassing them. And where necessary, they provide support, but they also direct people to their growth group, the care team, or other relevant help. I work in close collaboration with the congregational ministers and each week I email them a care update regarding people who are currently being looked after by the care ministry. We're very mindful of confidentiality and seeking the person's permission before sharing information. People needing care who are not in a growth group are encouraged to share their situation with someone at church with whom they have a supportive relationship or to speak with one of their congregational ministers or contact me or contact the church office. So looking at the care ministry, 
There are two main functions of the care ministry. The giving and coordinating of extra care in crisis and chronic situations where care needs go beyond the capacity of the growth group. And secondly, training and equipping in care, which I'll come back to. Let's look at extra care provided by the care ministry. Well, the care ministry can provide crisis care and follow-up, so if there's been death or a divorce, domestic violence, where there's ongoing care needs for weeks or months after a crisis. Um, we can provide for chronic care needs in cases of extended illness, visits to those in hospital and aged care, where there's mental health issues that are ongoing. We provide one-to-one -one Bible reading and prayer support, that might be in person or over the phone, and we get those prayer requests via an online check-in and the website. We can provide practical care, meals, meal vouchers, transport, Christmas hampers, and also I have up-to-date information for referral to professional services. We also started four years ago a Blue Christmas service. Uh, this is a quiet, reflective service of consolation and thanksgiving for those who find Christmas a bit challenging. Now, the care that's provided by the care ministry is in addition to. It doesn't replace the care given by family, friends, growth groups, and other networks. And it may take many forms, but most importantly, it always involves listening and praying, opening the word, encouraging and comforting. Caroline's now going to outline how the care team is structured. Well, to summarise, we have uh, established care teams of trained laypeople in place for the morning congregations, uh, organised according to the congregation. Uh, the care team members report to Sally as the care, care ministry coordinator, uh, but we are um, uh, currently in the process of recruiting a care team leader for the 915 and the 1045 care team, and we've already appointed one for Tuesday Church, and then Sally reports to me as the membership director. So for our services, to give you an idea of size and complexity, 915 Morning Church has 300 plus people, four congregational ministers and eight care team members. 1045 Late Mornings has 150 people, two ministers and 10 care team members. Tuesday Church has about 60 people, two ministers and six care team members, but there is considerable overlap both in congregational membership between Late Mornings and Tuesday and also their care team. We also have a transport team leader and a team and leader and a meal team and leader. Uh, that's a fairly recent thing, getting that a little bit more organised, trying to get some things off Sally's plate. Uh, and that's been lovely seeing some people step into uh, what is a fairly contained, perhaps, role uh, to be a coordinator for meals or for transport. So Sally runs a weekly care team meeting with the care team leaders uh, to review the previous week, discuss prayer, uh, sorry, plans for people in need and to pray for them, and to give the care team leaders themselves support and the opportunity to debrief. 
Now, who is in that meeting continues to evolve uh, as people have stepped in and out of those roles over time and, and as we've been recently trying to tighten our structures a little bit. So that weekly meeting is currently Sally with the care team leader for one congregation uh, and when we've recruited team leaders for the other congregations, they will join that meeting. At our night's service, 6pm, uh, that's about 280 people, the care structures have been less developed. Care at the evening, we have found, tends to be more organic. Uh, which, with much of the care happening in the growth groups. And it's very fortunate that Knights has the largest proportion of people in, in growth groups. Uh, so we've found that previously much of the, the chronic or crisis care uh, has either been uh, dealt with probably by the congregational minister plus also our youth and our kids ministers because all of their leaders are from night church and as they disciple their leaders they're uncovering pastoral things so they have been part of that picture uh, and there are other staff who attend that service as well but nights has been growing significantly recently which is really exciting and we are keen to get a care team in place um, so we are currently working I think there's a meeting in the diaries and they're with a potential team leader in a couple of weeks um, and so recruiting a care team leader and then to try and start small and get a team together for night church. So in terms of, if you think through what does a care ministry coordinator do, um, here's Sally's role. This is uh, her, she has these responsibilities. She helps to raise awareness of our responsibilities to care and to help, care for and to help one another. She triages she triages the care needs, ensures effective lines of communication that facilitate the provision of care. She recruits uh, care team members and leaders in collaboration with our ministry director and others. She trains and develops and supports the care teams. She meets with care team leaders to discuss, as I've outlined, to discuss care needs and pray for individuals. Uh, when necessary, Sally will do and does do frontline caring and following up with people in need. Uh, Sally runs or organises care seminars for all members to enhance their ability to offer care and support. She provides care updates, as she's mentioned, to the staff, to a, a small circle of staff. Uh, she keeps records. Uh, she gives advice. She's like a consultant for us on matters of care. Uh, and helps people connect with the professionals with, and with the counsellors list. Now, in terms of how someone is referred to uh, the care ministry, we want uh, the bulk of care to be happening in the growth group, but it, clearly there's situations that exceed the ability of the growth group to cope. And so at that point, uh, and this is what we talk about in leaders' training, we want people to be referred with the individual's permission Anyone can refer, the growth group leader, the community leader, the leader leader, uh, a growth group member, the individual himself who needs help can, can self-refer. We also have an option through the website for people to reach out um, for help. Um, so it may be through the website, it may be a conversation with staff member. It may be particularly for our older members, they'll call 
um, Jan, who works in the front office, who is one of the care team leaders, who's a key conduit for referrals um, for that demographic. Uh, so it, it may be that the referrals come from different places because life and church life is v messy, isn't it? It comes from all over, but we've tried to make sure that situ the structure is set up so the news filters through, particularly to Sally, so she can do the triaging and work out uh, what's next. Uh, the other thing, Joe touched on this in the plenary session. Uh, we make sure in the growth group leader and community leader training that they know what are the situations where they must escalate it. They need to tell a member of staff and or Sally. So here's our list. Um, any suspicion, where, situations where there is any suspicion or disclosure of child abuse, where there is a risk of harm to self or to others, so self-harm, suicidal ideation, domestic abuse. Issues of high sensitivity uh, or confidentiality, uh, adultery, gender dysphoria, situation of gender dysphoria when there's a significant bereavement, a sudden death, where there's traumatic experience, so a rape or an attack, a problem that significantly interferes with everyday life, uh, so addiction, mental ill health, financial need, uh, where a leader's conduct breaches safe ministry, and where the care needs are beyond the resources and ability of the growth group uh, to deal with them. So we try and make sure that leaders are aware of that. Well, Sally's now going to talk about the second function of the care ministry, um, and training and equipping in care. Well, because care is such an important part of every ministry purpose and activity at church, we believe that training and equipping in care is important not only for care team members, but across the whole church. Jesus calls us to love one another, and while we may be sincere in our motivation, we can often lack confidence, and we can feel unsure of what to do and say, especially during a time of loss and grief or a crisis. As Caroline explained, the giving and coordinating of extra care in crisis and chronic situations sits under membership. However, the training and equipping part of the care ministry sits under maturity. I work with the maturity director, James Macbeth, to plan and review what care training and equipping is happening with adult members across the church. This arrangement evolved historically because several years ago, CARE came under a ministry portfolio we had that was called Community and Care, and that was under James. So James and I have worked together for some years. We've since shifted to having a membership portfolio, but James and I have continued to work together uh, on the training aspects of care. And while it's somewhat um, unusual to report to two M directors, it works well for us. Collaboration between care and maturity helps us to keep care a feature of our growth groups and it helps us make sure our community and growth group leaders are equipped in care. It also helps us as a church to seek wisdom from the scriptures as we care for one another and to keep encouraging one another from the word so we persevere and keep our eyes on Jesus. 
In between COVID lockdowns, the maturity director and I wrote and filmed an online care training course aimed at teaching church members the foundational principles of care. The course is freely available to anyone inside and outside of the church, and it can be accessed via our church website. We use it for training our care team and for community leader and growth group leader training. There are seven sessions, and each comprises a conversational video, worksheets, a short Bible talk, and further resources. I've also put together a care training matrix, which highlights the layer of the church where people serve and which online care training topic and other care topics are relevant for which layer. And there's a more detailed version of this slide on the REACH app. This is an aspirational document in that it's not all happening yet, but it's helped us to think about how to integrate the use of the care training course and plan what care training is needed for whom. Care team meetings, training and care seminars. So we have a care team meeting once a term where we build team dynamics, read the Bible and pray, and I conduct some training. For example, we've looked at the anatomy of a pastoral conversation, how to pray and read the Bible with someone who's hurting, and how to walk alongside without rushing in to rescue or fix. We also run two care seminars every year, which are open to anyone to attend, and these are now filmed and put on the website. And we've covered a variety of topics. Just recently, we looked at how to support someone living with a chronic illness. We also have a joint mission care seminar once a year in June, which is pre-evangelistic. And this year, the topic is anxiety and depression. And one of our aims of having this collaboration between care and mission is that guests will hear about the difference that Jesus makes and they'll see that we truly care and love one another in the hard places of life and will hopefully want to know more about Jesus. We also have care training modules included in youth leaders training, connect team training and MTS training, which various members of staff do. This side of heaven, there's no such thing though as a fully formed ministry or church. And so we're praying that with God's help, the care ministry at Christchurch will continue to develop and help us to express our gospel convictions about loving God, loving people, and making disciples. We want to keep considering how we can keep spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Well, we're now going to spend some time looking at a couple of case studies and to think about how we can organize care in a small and a medium-sized church. But I think before we continue, you might like just to stand up and stretch for a minute, uh, and you might want to just share with the person next to you maybe something you found helpful or a question that you have. We'll just take a minute just to break. Well, we might resume. I'm sorry to break up your, your conversations, but let's continue. So we're now going to look at those 
couple of case studies and think about how we might organize care in a small and a medium-sized church. Tim Keller reminds us that it's a sociological fact that a full-time minister cannot personally shepherd more than about 150 to 200 people. At some point, any pastor will lose the ability to personally visit, stay in touch, and be reasonably available to all the people of a growing congregation. When members have the expectation they can chat with the senior minister any time they have a pastoral concern, they can feel really let down if it doesn't happen. The reality is no one person can be present for everyone, can know them all deeply or pray with them all. So organizing and equipping people to care for one another is essential. In addition, Kerry Newhoff asserts that if a church is going to grow, it has to let go of the expectation that the pastor will be available for every medical emergency, every twist and turn in their lives, every family celebration, and every crisis. Well, let's look at what that might look like through a couple of case studies. I'm going to share with you a couple of de-identified case studies based on phone conversations I had with a senior minister of both a small and a medium-sized church. They kindly gave me permission to share today, and if you're here, I'd really like to thank you for your time and for being willing to chat with me. However, I think as I share, it's important to understand that it's just a snapshot of care and how care is currently organized in their church because we didn't have time to go into great details. Well, this is the small church. There are 125 members, approximately 90 adults and 30 children. There's just the one minister. They have one service at 9.30 and a Sunday school and 70% of members are in a growth group. What's been working well? What's going well for them? Well, the year has started well, praise God. The congregation's growing. Regulars are standing firm and persevering. And up to now, the minister's been a shepherd pastor. He's been able to meet all the newcomers. He's been able to keep in touch with what's happening, and he's available as needs arise. Care's been very relational and organic because everybody knows everyone else. And growth groups have been the engine room of care. So there's six growth groups with 70% of people in a growth group. And individuals are also prayed for sometimes uh, during the 9.30 corporate gathering. What are some of the challenges that the minister identified? Well, he's, he's saying that the building's beginning to feel pretty full, and he's unable to engage with everyone at the level that they require. As the congregation has grown to 125, he's becoming aware they need more space and they need to establish teams. Current leaders play several different roles and they're at the point where they need to train their leaders to run teams. And in his own words, he said, everything is in my head, I need to articulate it and transition to teams. So what about the emerging opportunities? Well, the minister recognizes the need to become a rancher shepherd where he shepherds other lay shepherds and to shift to teams. He'd like a team of welcomers and to develop growth group leaders into a team. 
and he's keen to develop a small care team because he's finding it increasingly difficult to keep up with the care needs and to care for those outside of growth groups. So here are some suggested steps for developing a care team. And there's a detailed version of this in the REACH app. So firstly, of course, we want to pray. We need to pray. This is God's work. Pastoral care begins and ends with God. So we want to pray for God's guidance and wisdom. We'll need to review. We'll need to carry out a review of how pastoral care is currently provided. What works? What doesn't work? What's missing? We need to assess the needs of the congregation. So it's helpful to draw up a list of people in need. And you could start with the elderly, frail people in your congregation and those who are housebound or in nursing homes. You could add families in need or those in, who are not in a growth group. You could also look at the types of prayer requests that you're getting. They'll give you a good idea of the sorts of needs. Always start small and don't try and do more than you can comfortably sustain. So you'll want to then assemble a care ministry advisory group. So invite some mature men and women who are good listeners or already caring for others, along with others who are interested in pastoral care, to discuss and pray about how care could be improved at church. Now your growth group leaders might be able to suggest people to approach and sometimes people who've had a previous experience in the helping professions or even a background in ministry might be able to help. You'll need to decide what support the care ministry can and can't provide in your own context. Can they just provide prayer support or can they visit people? Um, can they provide meals or practical assistance, Bible reading? Can they provide extra care in crisis and chronic situations. And from this group, this interested advisory group, God willing, you'll probably find the beginnings of a care team, however small, and you might find someone who's got the conviction and character and competence to lead the care ministry. I think it's important to have a care coordinator or leader in place from an early stage to lead the team. You want to look for someone with a heart for care and some admin skills. However, they can start small and grow into the role as they're trained. And if someone would like to be involved in care ministry but they don't feel confident in one-to-one -one ministry, see if they'd be interested in coordinating the meals ministry. You'll need to work out a basic care team structure, um, how they'll be supervised, how the communication channels are going to work, and given the people and resources that you have at each stage, um, this will be individual to your church. You can only work with what you have. You'll want to write a, a clear vision and mission statement for care that aligns with your church's overall vision and care. And you'll also want to write some role descriptions. So role descriptions for the care team member, the care team leader, and the care coordinator. You'll need to develop an action plan. So hopefully your small groups are going to remain uh, the first port of call for care. And if they're not already um, the first port of call for care, then you'll need to set expectations. 
for the growth groups and train the leaders in pastoral care. This small care team should start meeting weekly then to pray for the ministry and for the people in need, those people who you've identified on your list. And then they can also work out who they might contact or visit uh, from that list of people. You'll need to devise a system of referral to the care ministry and how the documentation is going to be handled. And if you haven't got one, to draw up a list of Christian counsellors and other resources. You'll also want to train and equip the team. So the care coordinator obviously will need training in pastoral care and perhaps leadership skills, but also the care team members will need some training. People need to understand important issues such as confidentiality, safe ministry, boundaries, and when to escalate care and to who. You could do your training in-house or you could use outside resources such as the introductory Anglicare pastoral care course. You could have a look at our Christchurch online training course or you could send some people to Mary Andrews College to do their courses. There's also the spiritual care series uh, which is a care volunteer training by Health Television Network. You can also, you could provide them with a list of recommended reading. And I can recommend the care resource list that Joe Gibbs has put together, which is on the conference app. So you'll need to promote the care ministry and evaluate it within the church. You'll want to monitor it, evaluate it after six months, and then every year you'll want to keep some good data on how it's going. And if you're really... Um, ambitious, you might start considering what further care needs you could start planning for now. Well, before we move on to look at a medium-sized church, I think we again just take a little break. It's late in the afternoon and I want to care for you. Um, so you might like just to turn to the person next to you and share a comment or a thought that you may have. All right, well, let's look at the medium-sized church. So in this particular case study, this church is amalgamation of two churches in 2022. There's approximately 400 adults, 130 to 150 children, and the staff comprise a senior minister, two assistant ministers, one with a senior's focus and a pastoral care coordination role. There's a children's youth and family minister, a part-time children's minister, and they have a part-time lay pastoral carer, and her role is visiting those in aged care facilities or members who are not able to attend. They have services at 8 a.m. and at 10.30 and at 6 p.m. at one location, and then at 9.30 and on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. at the other location. And they have approximately 70% of members in growth groups. What's been working for them? Well, praise God, they're also a growing church. They're halfway to the five M's. Uh, they have welcome everyone, growing together, and honouring God. The size of the congregations deliberately kept to below 200 at each service, and the largest is 150 at 10 a.m. 
Each congregation has a congregational pastor and one named female pastoral staff leader. And they have a weekly meeting to review people in need. And each service has a network of small groups, which are the engine room of care, and they are looked after by the senior minister. The groups follow what's preached on Sunday so that the teaching burden is lifted off the leaders and they can focus on application of the word, prayer and care. So what are the challenges identified by the senior minister? Will people still gravitate towards the senior minister for pastoral support? 25 people who were at the smaller church are still finding their feet in the bigger congregation and the experienced pastime paid lay pastoral carer will retire at the end of the year. The senior minister would like to see more people in small groups from approximately 70 to 80%. He'd like to develop more growth group team leaders to accommodate new growth, and growth group leaders training, would, he'd like to develop that further. What about emerging opportunities? Well, I think this is a great example of how care has been organised into the ongoing life of the church and it's being reviewed and it's being updated on a regular basis. But what are some of the possible emerging opportunities? Well, when the part-time lay pastoral carer retires at the end of the year, there may be an opportunity to develop a care team with a care team leader who could report to the senior assistant, uh, the assistant minister who has responsibility for pastoral care with seniors. That team could visit those in aged care and seniors who are not able to attend church and people who are not in a growth group. And over time, there could be a couple of lay carers specific to each congregation to assist the congregational pastors in providing care in crisis and chronic situations that go beyond the small groups. Secondly, people are still tending to gravitate to the senior minister for pastoral support, and I would say this is probably because he's very good at it. However, it might help to provide further comms and education about how care is uh, organised and how to access it. And we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about this because it's no good having structures in place if people aren't aware of what care is available and how to access it. Even if a church doesn't have a care team, Members still need to know how to access care at church and where to go for additional support. So that the information reaches everyone, it's important to com communicate how to access care in, at church in a number of different ways. So the information could be shared through the growth group leaders, it could be shared from the front, it could, there could be a little brief note on the service sheet if there is one saying something like, if you or someone you know would like a call, please let one of the ministry staff or the care coordinator know. And we should make good use of the church website. We know that visitors are going to review our church website before visiting, and we want them to know that we're going to be a church who'll care well for them. We also want to be encouraging regular members to use the website as the central place for communication and we, we want those who are hurting to be able to find the information they need. 
we redesigned our church website a couple of years ago and it was a wonderful opportunity to include information about how members can get care and support at Christchurch. Our care information includes information about care and growth groups, the role of the care ministry, a list of recommended Christian counsellors, our domestic abuse policy and care resources. If I was at your church and I needed care, could I go to the church website and find out if care is available and how to access it? Would it be easy for me to find that information on your website if I went looking for it? Or would it be buried under a sub-menu? Well, in preparing for the seminar, I did a quick review of the websites of 28 FIAC churches in New South Wales just to determine how many provided information about care for their members. Four said that growth groups were the primary vehicle for care. Six indicated a care ministry. Five provided extra resources, such as professional counselling. Uh, a list of professional counsellors, and one published a vision statement for care, and one shared their domestic abuse policy and domestic violence support resources. I think it's always encouraging for us to keep looking at what other churches are doing and spurring one another on in the care space. But if you haven't got any information about care and support on your website, can I encourage you to think about including some? It really does send the message that we're a church who loves Jesus and loves one another and that church is a place where it's okay to share your burdens because you will be heard, you will be encouraged and you will be supported. Well, to conclude, I'd like to end with a quote from my friend Lee Carter who I mentioned at the beginning of the workshop. She said this in a presentation she gave to our church on loss and grief. And it's a great reminder that ultimately God is caring for his flock through Jesus and equipping us to love one another. In his great kindness to us, God redeems our suffering in extraordinary ways. Against the backdrop of pain and heartache, he brings into sharp relief the beauty of hope-filled love and care within the family of believers. We're all learning together, both the ones who grieve and the ones who care. And as we grieve together and care for one another, in his grace, our Father God knits us together in love. Amen. Here's a slide with some recommended resources and some of the um, resources I referred to in the talk, but we're now going to have a, a time for some questions. Well, that was Sally Sims. I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, in the show notes, we have uh, her book. Uh, you'll be able to get a link to that uh, provided by Matthias Media. Uh, we also have in the notes a, a selection of other resources that you may find helpful in terms of developing community. If you've got anything else that you would like us to see, please email us, resources at reachaustralia.com.au. Uh, I'm P. Hughes. Chat soon. <laughs>